So Eliphaz said, how can I, what am I going to say to my father? So Amarlo, Yaakov says to Eliphaz, he says, Ma, and I'm saying, Eliphaz says to Yaakov, Ma, so it's Yishol, Abba, Amarlo, Yaakov, Tol Ma Shebiyadi. Tol Ma Shebiyadi. Take my stuff. I have all the stuff that I'm bringing to, where I'm bringing to, to Ravan, to, to give to, for, for Rachel. I got all these great stuff. I got, I brought just like Eliezer brought to, uh, Betuel. I'm bringing the same stuff. I got a package. See his Roebuck or something. There's a, what do you bring to the perspective? Kala. So he had all this stuff. So he says, Abalo Yaakov told Masabiyadi, I'll give you all the stuff I have. Right? And then, you'll say to your father that you killed me. Because he'ani chashuv kemet. Because the poor, the poor person is like a person who's dead. Right? He's, he's a dead person. So you have this, uh, uh, interesting, uh, interesting story. Interesting story that Rashi is not satisfied. Rashi's not satisfied to say that Yaakov was crying because he, uh, he realized that Rif, that Rachel would not be buried with him. He didn't like that. So why does he say it Why does he say I mean, it's a good question. Okay, it's yours. You got it. You got it. If you go to a uh, to a wedding or a shaver breakfast this week, you talk about it. I, I don't know. I I don't exactly know, but I know that you, I would say I would say that the first interpretation in Rashi seems closer to pshat because it doesn't call upon so many elements. You don't need Esav and Alifaz and chasing. And you don't need, and there's a whole story that's not in the Torah. The only thing it says in the Torah is that he cried. The only thing it says in the Torah is that he cried. And, uh, and, uh, but it's not good enough for Rashi. Why should a, a person on his wedding day or when he meets his Kala think about the fact that maybe they will, one will die before the other, for example, which is usually the case, right? It's not usually the case that the husband and wife jump off the roof together. One of them jumps off first, right? Not both of them together. So Rashi, but the, the, the point that I want you to realize is that Rashi does not explain the first half of the Pasuk. And Rashi does not explain the first half of the Pasuk in spite of the fact that the Medrash does explain the first half of the Pasuk. If you look at the back of the page here, like you turn it over, you see Breshit Rabbah. Right, there's a, there's a, a quote in Breshit Rabbah which goes as follows. Uh, this is the second line, right? Vayishak Yaakov l'Rachel, quote from the Pasuk, Kol Neshika l'Tiflut b'Amintlat. He says, he says, every time a man kisses a woman, it, it's not of great significance. Right? Tiflut is, is something that is... Um, like, like the bad instincts that we have. Like we have, we're not always uh, righteous, right? That we're not always right. That's tiflus, right? Tiflut is something uh, not commendable. So, you, so the, the Medrash says, Kol Nishikala Tiflut Barmintlat. There are three cases when a man can kiss a woman or another man 
And it's not reprehensible. It's something positive. What are the three cases? The shikash el gedula. When you kiss somebody, you see the king. And you kiss the king. Says that's a, that's a serious thing. prakim. When you see somebody, and you haven't seen him for a long time. So you, you, you might kiss him. Nishikashel prishut. Right? Nishikashel prishut means a nishika when you say goodbye. Like, I know I'm not going to see you for a long time. You know, like, uh, you're going on Aliyah. Goodbye. You give him a kiss. But, but those three kisses are meaningful. According to the, according to the Medrash. Anytime else that somebody, a man kisses a woman, it's, uh, it's not so meaningful. It's, uh, it's uh, something else. It's something else. That's what the Medrash says. Now the Medrash goes on to bring examples of these three different kinds of kissing, uh, where you, where you kiss somebody and it's a, a serious matter. But Rashi, who knew the Medrash, right? Rashi knew the Medrash Rabbah and the Tanchuman Breshit Balpet, and he was able to quote it at will. We can say, even though Generally, I don't like to say a thing like this, but we can say that Rashi left it out. Because the kissing of Yaakov and Rochel does not fit in to one of those three cases. It's neither, it's neither that she was the king, nor that he was saying goodbye, or that he was saying hello. I mean, it was not, it was a recognition that she was going to be his wife. It was a romantic kiss. It was a sexually induced kiss. And if that's the case, then what Rashi is teaching us is that this instance of Yaakov kissing Rachel is not what the Medrash is talking about. Right? It's not what the Medrash... Because if it was the what the Medrash... Even though the Medrash brings it as a relation of this person, but it's not right. It's not right. The Medrash is right that there are certain times you can kiss people and it doesn't have any kind of onerous meaning. But this was not one of those times. So if this was not one of those times, we're left with the question of why did he kiss her? And if he kissed her because he liked her, which is either a good thing or a bad thing, why does the Torah tell us about it? I mean, this is always the second part, you know, like information. Information, we, Rashi, one of Rashi's uh, uh, great teachings that we all absorb all the time is that everything in the Torah is meaningful. It's meaningful in our sense of uh, religiously meaningful. It's, it's spiritually meaningful. It's meaningful. So what's so meaningful about Yaakov kissing Rachel? Even if he did it, and even if he's right to do it because he found his basherter, you know, and even if you could explain halachically that somehow it was okay, but why does the Torah have to tell us that? The Torah doesn't tell us that Yaakov Avinu went to the Makol and he came back with a sack of milk. Although he may have done that. Right? He may have done that. But it's not something that we have to know. The Torah is directing us in certain direct. That's what we feel. And, and the information in the Torah should be important, significant. Something that we can apply in our own lives in some way. But in this case, according to Rashi, we are left in the dark. We're left in the dark. Some other perushim, uh, just uh, uh, for the sake of uh, clarifying this point, we'll see the Abarbanel. You see, the Abarbanel wrote a long, very long perush on Tanakh, which uh, 
you know, has, has its ups and downs in terms of popularity. It's, uh, it's uh, generally very long, very extensive uh, papers, so people don't feel that they have koyach for it, you know, like, but it very, but sometimes it's very good, very interesting. Look what he says. He says, Einein nashak Yaakov l'Rachel. You see, it's the second, the second source. Einei nashak Yaakov l'Rachel. V'hodiyah. Shalom nishakam ifnei ta'ava. V'hodiyah. Right, Yaakov said, Rachel, I'm going to kiss you. But not because I desire you. I'll give you a different reason. What's the different reason? V'lo tikacheyu. Lignai, Kiachi Aviahu Klomar, Sharov Akarov Elav Maod. He says, that's what he said. He says he kissed her, and then he told her, I'm your father's brother. I mean, he wasn't really his father, a father's brother, but he was a close relative. So he says, I'm kissing you because we're close relatives, which is sort of what the Medrash itself said, and that's what the Avabanel quotes. So what the Avabanel does is say about Rashi, I don't understand why Rashi left this out. This must be the Pshat, what Rashi said. If you look at the next source, I mean, you could fill in the rest on your own, is the Ketav Kabbalah. The Ketav Kabbalah is a much more, in, in terms of uh, the dates, much more modern. It's a much more modern kind of interpretation and the Lithuanians like the Ktava Kabbalah because it doesn't mush around with Zohar and, and mysticism and they're that pragmatic kind of of Perush. Uh the the author's name is Mecklenburg. Mecklenburg Svi Mecklenburg. Very good it's a wonderful Perush. The problem with this Perush is that if you get it online like you have it on this page, it looks very nice. But if you buy the book it doesn't look so nice. Very small letters, very crowded, very difficult to read. So that may be why people uh, tend not to use it. What? It's being reprinted? It's being reprinted? With the permission, I think. It's done already? I mean, I missed it? Oh. Ketav Kabbalah with the Chumash? Just the Ketav Kabbalah? Yeah. Okay, so you can go out and buy it. And look at it. You know, like you have an opportunity. So what does he say? He says, the shikah in lamid. In lamid. Right, what does it say? Vayishak Yaakov Rachel. Right, that's, you know, so he says, oh, you know what that means? Listen. He says, biyad o bekatev o betzavar. Al bimin hagam dinot. I mean, you can see he's a European. Right? He says, what does it mean? They said, by Yishak Yaakov at Rachel, he either kissed her head, or he kissed her uh, shoulder, or he kissed her, what? Her neck. neck. You know, like uh, like people do. Like, you know, in France, you go to France, everybody starts kissing you, like the stewardesses kiss you, and the pilots kiss you, everybody kisses you all the time. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean more than in America when you shake hands. Like you shake hands with somebody. It doesn't mean anything. It's a way of saying hello. I mean, you could think about where it comes from and why you shake your hand here and why you kiss there, right? You know, academia is full of all kinds of interesting sidelights. But there's one thing for sure. It has nothing to do with sexual desire. Like nothing. So the, the, the Sava Kabbalah says, 
Okay, it says Vayishak Yaakov at Rachel, but don't get nervous. It doesn't mean what you think it means. In fact, it doesn't mean anything. It is what people do when they meet, which is very similar, again, to what the Medrash Rabbah said. There are people, haven't seen each other for a long time, they meet, or they are, even if they're not related, but surely if they are related to each other, or if you see a king, and the king is kind of in your presence, you bow down, you kiss his hand, or he kisses your hand, I don't know exactly how it goes, because uh, you have to check countries that have kings, and we see who kisses who, and where they kiss each other. This is, this is, this is the Ksava Kabbalah. He was a practical man. And practical man, and he said, what, what, nothing to get excited about. This doesn't mean anything. It doesn't say anything about Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu met somebody they hadn't seen for a long time. In fact, he had never seen her. But, and, and, but he knew the family, and they hadn't seen him for a long time. So he did the obvious thing. He did the obvious thing. And so, so if you wanted to be, like, really a mythic about it, you would say that. That's why Rashi didn't explain it. Because Rashi also came from some combination of Germany and France, right? He lived his, most of his life in Troyes, where, which is in France, and he wrote what he wrote, but he went to Yeshiva, he went to Yeshiva in Germany. So those were the cultures that he knew very well. It's true that he knew other cultures well through his students. He had students from Russia and from Poland, and, and they all sort of like uh, told him things. Right, they said, oh, this is how we do it, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. So he had students who were able to, to bring in some word of the general culture. But he himself, Rashi himself, knew about Germany and knew about France. And so it was, it, it could be he read the Pasuk, it wasn't even a question. It wasn't even a question by Ishaq Yaakov le Rachel. So everybody said, well, of course, I mean, where else he hasn't seen her. He doesn't know, of course he's going to kiss her. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have any kind of meaning. Now, with this introduction, everything I've said up to now, I consider it to be an introduction to what we're going to do now. We want to look and see what Rav Nachman of Bratzlov did to this question. How did he learn the Pesach? And then you'll tell me what he thought about the Pesach. Well, Rav Nachman, in a Torah, they call them, they call them Torahs. Likute Moharan, you see the title? It's on the second side, the last source. Madura Kama, that means that, you know, Rav Nachman was published in two books. Right? So there's A and B. Not such an exciting way to distinguish the two volumes, but that's how it was. And then later, they were printed always in the same, the same volume. But the volumes divided into two. Part one and part two. So, this is found in Lukuti Moran, which is the book that really the only book of Braslav that Rav Nachman wrote. All the rest of them were written by Rav Nossin. This was also written by Rav Nossin. Rav Nossin was his, uh, his student who had this uh, uh, a very, very uh, good ability to remember everything word for word that his Rebbe Rav Nachman said. So Rav Nachman gave a shir on Shabbos or he gave a shir on Rosh Hashanah, or on Yontif, or whatever it was, he couldn't write it down. It was very handy to have Rav Nossin around, who remembered it word for word, and then wrote it up. And then Rav Nachman edited it. He looked at it, before it was put into the book. So that's considered to be, that's considered to be Rav Nachman. You know, Rav Nachman is, 
Rav Nachman is what Rav Nossin said. What Rav Nachman said and what Rav Nossin wrote. You, you, you understand? But it's like, uh, well known. So listen to what he says. Zebechinat Vaishak Yaakov Rachel. This is not the beginning of the Torah. This is in the middle. And in the beginning of the Torah, he tried to say, he tried to say, like, like there's a point that he makes again and again, that not all Talmidic Chachamim are equal. Not all Talmidic Chachamim. We'll see what he means in a minute. He says, it's not enough to know a lot of Torah. But you have to be connected to the Torah. That's Rav Nachman's argument. Right? Not just, uh, there are people who know a lot, and there are people who can say a lot, but not everybody, not everybody is really, uh, is really connected. So this is what he says. Vayishak Yaakov Rachel. This is the pasuk that we are trying to figure out. We're trying to figure out what it means. Here's Rashi. And he says, Rashi adds, and for Rav Nachman, Rashi and the Chumash were the same text. They weren't two different texts. I mean, it's something that's hard for us to kind of get into our minds, but that's the way it is. Rashi is not uh, the one who explains the Torah, but he is the Torah. It was the way Rashi learned it is the way children in Cheda learn it and the way older kids learn it and the way when you learn the parish of the Shavuah by yourself that's the way you learn it. So Rashi is the essential text itself. He's the text just like in the Gemara the Rishonim are the text of, are the, text of the Gemara. I mean I don't want to explain that. But it's, but it's so. It is so. Well, uh, yeah, but the Talmud, there are others. There, he has competition. In other words, the Rashvah, the Ritvah, the Ramban, they're all competition in a matter of speaking. Not, they weren't printed on the page as Rashi was, but in the Chubbish, Rashi has no competition. He's the only, only one who does that, who explains every single phrase. And his explanations are considered to be um, the Torah itself. That's what the Torah is. So he says, he quotes Rashi, uh, right, remember that he saw that Rachel would not be buried with him and he started to, he started to cry. Now, listen to Rav Nachman. So first, Rav Nachman has a problem. He says, what do you mean, Zebechinat? What did he just teach me? He taught me that not all Talmudi Chachomim are the same. Not everybody's really connected to the Torah. Some people sort of just look good and sound good, but they're not connected. And then, and you have to be able to make that differentiation. You have to be able to say, I know who this group is and I know who that group is. This is Rav Nachman's argument all the time. Now, Rav Nachman knew a lot of Torah. Rav Nachman knew everything. And, and he knew that there were other people who knew everything. But he insisted that not everybody was the same. This group, in this group, not everybody was the same. Some people were, uh, were connected to the Torah, and some people just had this wonderful memory that they were able to remember things. So look at what he says. He says, Rachel, he says, Rachel, I'm going to learn this, I'm going to learn this Pasuk in a different way, right? The Pasuk says, Vaishak Yaakov Rachel, now, what's Rachel? He said, what could Rachel be? What couldn't it be? Of course, you have Nachman. What could it definitely not be? 
It couldn't be Rachel. That's the only thing. It just, it just couldn't be. Because one thing about Rav Nachman was that he didn't like sexual indiscretion. That's what did not go with him. That to imagine that Yaakov Avinu was the representative of some kind of sexual desire. Forget it. It can't be. So you know that everybody, when it comes to interpret a text, any kind of text, has preconceived notions. And there are preconceived notions about who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, uh, uh, what, what the author is trying to, to tell me, the gadol, and I, I stick it into, into my interpretation of words and sentences. So he had, he, Rav Nachman, he had a preconceived notion. And his preconceived notion was that Yaakov Avinu was one of the avot. And being one of the avot meant you were the way you're supposed to be. And sexual laxness was not the way you were supposed to be. So here's Rav Nachman, he says, you know what Rachel is? Rav Rachel bechinat Rachel equals Torah Now how does he get that? How can you get from Rachel to Torah Shabal Peh? This is like, this is Bratzlov geometry, it's called. Rachel, Torah Shabal Peh. How do you do that? So he says, oh, it's very easy. Uh, he says, he says it's, uh, uh, Shehi, now, Rachel is also a sheep in Hebrew. In regular Hebrew. A sheep, a sheep, is a Rachel, it's called a Rachel, before it is sheared. Sheared, gozezeha, reshit hagez. There's a mitzvah that you have to, when you shear the sheep, you have to give some of it to the Kohen as a present. So that's, Gozezeha. Shakol gozezim oposkimi mena halachot. What is giza? What is giza? To cut off. Right? To cut off? What's psak? What's psak? To cut off. What do you mean cut off? What, is, what, is, what comes before psak? Discussion. Discussion. Even argument sometimes. Disagreement. What is psak? Determination. What's uh, uh, a synonym for psak, for psak, giza, he says, to cut something off, to finish it. So the Rachel, this, this word Rachel has another meaning besides being the name of a woman. It also means the determined Tarash of what we know. That's what, that's what Rav Nachman says. Poskim, mimena halachot, veheim, Nashim, Nasim, Levushim. Levushim is a Kabbalistic word, but it means clothing. It's like what you look like. You, the psak is the way you live. Right? The psak of Torah Shabal Peh is the way you live your life. So that's Levush. Kemoshe Katuv, Kivasim, Kilevushecha. There is this Pasuk, and how he finds this Psukim is like impossible for me to understand. There's a, Prosecute Mishli, it says Kvasim. What are Kvasim? Again, sheep. Kvasim and Rachel are, are the same, right? The same idea. Levushecha, they produce the way you are, the way you act, the way you live. So here's, here's Rav Nachman. I mean, you may think that he's going like a little bit, like off, but for him, this is regular. This is how he sees it. This is how he sees things. And then he says, Kimol Shekatov is another pasuk, Simra, 
Lecha katsin tiyelanu. Katsin means likchot, to cut something off. So this idea that psak is cutting off, it's determining. And that's what Torah Shalpeh is really like. You talk and you argue and discuss, but at the end you want to get to a decision about what God wants us to do in a particular, in a particular case. And so he says, now, he gets to it. You ready? This is Rav Nachman of Bratzler. But it's not going to make you dance in Kikar Tzion. <laughs> it's a different thing. But this is like that for dancing. If you're not going to dance in Kikar Tzion. So it says, uh, one second. Again, Shadam, uh, Kasher Lomed Torah Tatana. He says, what does it mean when a person learns Gemara? So the Gemara, you know, most so part of the Gemara is Tanaim, and the rest of the, and the more, more of the Gemara is Emoraim. So here the word Tana means a Tana and Emora. It means if you, if you're learning the words, of the great Jews of the past, right? That's what you're learning. So this is what he says, Adam Kasher, Adam Kasher, that's the good guy, right? Good guys. When they learn, when they learn Torah Tatana, when they learn the words of the Tanaim in the Gemara, in the Gemara, uh, just one second. Uh, I know, Loi Torah Tana, Azai hatana no shake oto vuhu no shake hatana. What does that mean? That you feel a closeness. You feel a closeness to the people who are teaching you the Torah. The people who are in the Gemara. You are no shake. Nishika is the word that describes the closest that a person can be with another person. So Rachel refers to Torah Shaval Peh. Vayishak refers to Yaakov and Torah Shaval Peh, like how Yaakov was. What Yaakov was? He was Vayishak Rachel. Rachel, Torah Shaval Peh. Psak. Vayishak indicates the closeness that Yaakov Avinu had to the source of Torah Shaval Peh, which is the Tana. And of course, this closeness, it was again, he's making a distinction. Some people will learn Gemara because it's like a, it's like the Times Forcewood puzzle. Now they want to be smart. They want to know something. They want to show how clever they are. But then there are other people who learn Torah who are looking for intimacy with the Torah. They want to be part of the Torah. And you could say Hasidus, you know, they would tell you that intimacy and stability, like, like that's how we live our lives, right? We, we have intimacy, but we also yearn for stability, which are, which for like animals or other creatures seem to be very, uh, counterindicated. Like, you know, intimacy is intimacy, but no, you don't need stability for, for that. So, but we like the intim, we, we develop a system where intimacy and stability go together. And that's Talmud Torah. That's according to, according to Rav Nachman, that's what Talmud Torah is. It's intimacy, stability. Right? It doesn't change. He says, The Tana keeps talking. 
after he's dead. You know, when you get to this state of intimacy with the, with the source of Torah Shemalpeh, where you get to that state of intimacy, so then you keep talking to each other. You learn new things. So what is a chidush, according to, according to Rav Nachman? It's what he wanted to say. In fact, it could be what he said. What the Tana said to you. That's called a, that's called a chidush. And then he says, uh, uh, and this is what the Pesach means when it says, when Yishak Yaakov, who atana, leachel hitoshval peh, shechidesh, shedashak vechibek et rucho beruach hakodesh abashchina. He says, that's Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu was able to create Torah Peh by listening very carefully to the source of Torah Peh. And that's by Yishak, Yaakov Rachel. Rachel was Torah Peh. Yaakov Avinu kissed her. And the reason that this Pasuk is written at this place, remember, Yaakov Avinu runs away from home and goes to a foreign culture, at a foreign place. Now listen to what he says. Vayefk Shetzafa Beruch HaKodesh Now he's saying like he's doing the same thing to Rashi. The same thing he did to the Chumish he's going to do to Rashi. He's saying according to Rashi why did he cry? Shafa Beruch HaKodesh Elo Shotzimi Piv Vichnis Bitarash Ba'al Peh V'ra'ash Be'galut Al Zeh Al Pi Harov Alomdim Einam Hagunim. He saw that the nature of diaspora, of life in the diaspora is that lomdim einam hagunim. Most of the people who pass themselves off as great scholars are not uh, great people, let's say. They're not great people. Nimtsa she'al yedei limudam she'lamdu lotika neis ruach ha-kodesh And he says, I realize, he realized that these people, no matter how much they learn, will not be intimate with Rachel. Rachel equals Torah Shaval Peh, equals Psak, equals what you're supposed to do, equals Chidush. All of these things, that intimacy does not exist for most people that he knows in the, in the diaspora. Shel Torah Shaval Peh, Likvura, Burial. But for them, there is no information that is coming out of the grave. There's nothing that they're learning from the Tanaim who are dead and departed. That's the way Rasha learns Torah. And so he cried. He, Yaakov, cried that he found himself in the diaspora where the level of intimacy with Torah Shabbat Peh is very, very different. The ode. Shalifamim halamdan omer ezechidush b'shem atzmo. Imagine that. Sometimes the great scholars, the people who are called great scholars, they say, oh, I just thought of this. Oh, this is my idea. This is my idea. And, and he says that, you know, when a person says that, that he's out, not in the running. He's out of the deal. Because the person who is in the deal said, I would say, I just understood what the Tana said. It just came to me. 
Ruach HaKodesh. That's why Ruach HaKodesh, I understand what the Tana said. V'lo b'shem ha-tana. M'tza. Sh'al yidei zeh eino nichnasa matana l'gvura. So because of that, he doesn't get to be buried with the Tana. And so Rashi said, he saw the Ruach HaKodesh, that Rachel would not be buried with him. Rachel represents the Torah Shabbal Peh, the Psak, the the uh, the lack of or the the, the lack of uh, intimacy with that original uh, with that original source of Torah. So here you have it. You say to me, is that pshat? Is that what the Torah said? And I said, well, you know, if you follow the rules. And you say the Torah has to be meaningful. And if you're not dissuaded by the fact that the Torah can sometimes talk to us in a code, which is what certainly what Rav Nachman Abratzov thought. So my answer to that question is that Rav Nachman Abratzov thought that that was the pshat. He thought that's really what the Torah was trying to tell us. And the reason he was able to be so liberal in his interpretation of these words in the Pasuk was because there was no other possibility. Any other interpretation rendered the Torah kind of unnecessary, unimportant, and insignificant. And that for Rav Nachman and Rashi, according to Rav Nachman, was unbearable. I mean, how could you imagine that the Torah would tell us something that had no meaning, that had no meaning at all? So you see that the Medrash Rabbah and a slew of Mephoshim, for example, the Abadanel and the Ksava Kabbalah, all say that the kiss that Yaakov gave to Rachel was a meaningless kiss. It was something that you did pro forma in certain kinds of situations. In fact, the Medrash goes out of its way to tell us that this kind of pro forma kissing might take place in different situations, all of which are reflected in Psukim in the in the Tanakh. And yet, it remains unclear to me why Rashi didn't say that. Why Rashi didn't say that. And so now I posit, maybe Rashi didn't say that because he really didn't think that was the pshat. Maybe he thought there was something going on. But for Rashi, who is limited, generally, generally Rashi is limited by quoting what Chazal say. That's what Rashi is. Rashi takes Chazal and he says, this is Pshat, and this is Pshat, and this is Pshat, and, and, he, and he leaves out the rest. But he, what he says, he generally gets from Chazal, and since he didn't find anything Chazal that could explain those words by Yev Yaakov the Rachel, he just left it for the future generations. Along comes Rav Nachman of Braslo. <laughs> Along he comes, and he says, Yaakov Avidu, suddenly realized, suddenly realized that Talmud Torah in the world is not exactly what it was in his father's house or in the yeshivot of Shem Eva, where everybody learned Lishma and everybody did the right thing because it was the right thing to do. But he was now in a different world where people learned Torah to show off and people sometimes said things that they shouldn't say and didn't always know what it was they were talking about. So by Yishak, Yaakov, Rachel means that this 
awareness came to Yaakov Avinu at this time. And that was the difference between Yitzchak and Yaakov. Not only what Rashi says that, that, that the Eliezer brought a lot of good stuff and Yaakov didn't bring anything, that was not the only, the only difference. The real difference was that Yitzchak stayed home while a wife was brought to him. And he didn't have the struggle about how he would be. Whereas Yaakov was destined to live over 20 years in the house of Lava, in the house of Lava, a house that was totally uh, uh, in conflict with whatever ideals he learned in his father's house. And so, uh, Rav Nachman Abrazov gives us an interesting food for thought. Is he food for thought that, that, that when was it that Yaakov Avino realized that he was in enemy territory? When did he realize that his spiritual self was at risk? And why did that have to be part of Jewish history? Why did it have to be part of Jewish history? Why couldn't uh, Yaakov get his wife the same way that Yitzhak got his wife? But apparently not. The Ramban says that, uh, that uh, Yaakov Avinu became the model for diaspora living, like getting through it. It may not be perfect, but you can get through it. That was what Yaakov Avinu taught us all. Taught us all, but, you know, there has to be a dream. Right, you know? Yaakov Avinu had this dream of Eretz Yisrael and the Beit HaMikdash, Zeshar HaShamayim. That's what Yaakov Avinu said before he left Eretz Yisrael. So you have to have a dream. You have to have a dream. And so uh, hopefully Am Yisrael still has, still has that dream. Have a good shot. Yaakov cries because he'll be I think that what Nachman means is that he will be, he will find it much more difficult to be, yeah, because he's not in that world, right? Whereas uh, in the house of Yitzchak, he was in that world. 